Now, let's take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 5, if you will, please. Go to Romans chapter 5. Uh, a few weeks ago, we began a brand new series of messages entitled, Back to School. You know, all the kids are getting on the buses and the traffic's picking up in Statesboro as GSU kicks off their fall semester. So we thought it was time for us to go back to school, to revisit some of the biblical truths that really matter. The kind of things that we call doctrine in the theological realm, uh, but really they're super practical. I mean, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're just kind of getting into it, the Back to School series will help, help you establish your faith compass. It'll help you figure out how to steer your life. And if you've been at it for a long time, if you've been a follower of Jesus most of your life, then we're just going to further cement some of these biblical truths, doctrines, if you will, that really matter. The first time we got together, we dealt with the problem of sin. What is wrong with me? That's a rhetorical question. Please don't respond. What is wrong with me? What is wrong with us? What is wrong with the world? Well, the Bible reveals that both man and creation have fallen from their original created perfection. We live in a fallen universe, and man is totally depraved. The second time we got together, we talked about prayer. What could be more practical to a follower of Jesus Christ than learning how to pray? Prayer, remember, is more about relationship with God, building that relationship than it is making requests. And yet, many of us grew up, and the only kind of prayer we prayed was request-driven. Last week, John did an exceptional job dealing with those dark and difficult questions that trouble us deeply, those difficult circumstances that cause us to question our faith, to question the nature and character of God. How do you address such questions? I'd encourage you to watch that one on the website if you missed it. Today, we're going to talk about a personal world view. Now, you might have grown up in church, never heard that word before. What in the world is a personal world view? We got to begin with two very basic questions. What is it and where can I get one? Uh, despite you're never really considering the idea of a personal worldview, I guarantee you have one. You might be surprised to learn that even though when you were in school and you never enrolled in Worldview 101, your educators, your teachers, your professors, they were very instrumental in establishing your worldview. You might also be surprised to learn that even though your parents never sat you down and gave you the talk, I'm not talking about that talk, I'm talking about the worldview talk, your parents formed most of your worldview. So what is a worldview? For the sake of our discussion today, we're going to use this definition. A worldview is a set of assumptions regarding the world around us. So if I ask you, what is your worldview? What I'm asking you is, what's your starting point? What set of assumptions have you readily accepted that help you explain or study or interpret or understand your surroundings? A worldview is like a lens, a lens through which we interpret our reality. What's happening in my life? Your worldview helps you answer that question. What's happening to our family? Your worldview helps answer that question. Having a worldview is much like having a heart. You could probably live your whole life and never open up your heart and examine how it works. You could probably never really give it much thought, never have a conversation about your heart. But the fact is, everybody has one, and it's with you at all times. Well, in the same way, 
you could hold your personal set of assumptions regarding the world for years and years and years and never question them, never examine them, never give them any consideration or any thought. And for most of history, that's the way it was. You realize that up until just a few hundred years ago, the overwhelming majority of the world's population believed the world to be flat. And then along came Magellan to challenge that worldview and proved otherwise. Hundreds and hundreds of years before that, most Americans, excuse me, most people in the world believed that the sun revolved around the earth. But along come a guy named Copernicus to prove otherwise. For most of history, mankind's assumptions regarding his reality were unchallenged, were unconfronted. But today, thanks to technology, that smartphone that you carry, thanks to worldwide travel, your worldview is under assault every day. Other worldviews have been brought into your environment. You realize that your Christian grandparents and certainly your Christian great-grandparents never had to give much thought to Islam and the teachings of Muhammad. Your Christian great-grandparents never had to give much thought to Hinduism or Buddhism or secular humanism or the New Age movement. Why is this so? Because up until just a few hundred years ago, wherever you were born, you died. In fact, up until just a few hundred years ago, an individual was born and only traveled about 20 miles outside of the city of their birth. That means that you could live cradle to grave and never ever once have your worldview, your set of assumptions on what is real, what is true, what is valuable, what is good, how we should behave, it would never be challenged. But that's not the case today. Every time you turn on your television, your worldview is being challenged. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, every time you log on to Facebook or log on to Twitter or Instagram, your worldview is being challenged. Now, if you're a rational person and a humble person, when you begin to realize that the way you see the world is not the way everyone else sees the world, it leads to some very important questions. Questions like this one. Are my assumptions about the world right just because they're my assumptions? Think about that for a minute. Is the lens through which you interpret your reality the right one just because it's yours? Are my assumptions about the world right just because they're my assumptions? I mean, just because they're my answers to the questions and just because I absorb them from my family and my community and my culture, does that make them right? Does that make them truthful? Equally important, I think, is the consideration of my worldview's origin. Where did I get my worldview? Who or what shaped or fashioned the lens through which I interpret my reality? Where did it originate? Was I aware of the process as my worldview was being shaped? Can I trust the source of my worldview? These are very important questions. Now, I hope you get by this time that everyone has a worldview. Either consciously or subconsciously, 
Everyone has chosen a starting point. Everyone has chosen a lens through which they examine, they interpret, they attempt to understand their reality. Again, you will choose either on purpose or by default that lens through which you interpret your world. And that means that every decision, or at least almost every decision that you make, has its roots in the composition of your personal worldview. Now, to help you get this, I came across a chart I'm going to use. Um, if you didn't bring a pen or a pencil, you can't write this down, feel free to grab your cell phone and take a shot of this. We'll put it on the screen. If you can't do that, we'll make this available on our website. It'll probably be tagged to this message somehow on our church website. What is a worldview? Well, it's a set of assumptions regarding reality. And it begins with what is real. In the very center of that chart, what is real? That's your worldview. What can I trust as being real or authentic? Once I decide what is real... Once I embrace a specific worldview, then that determines for me what is truth, or that determines for me what I believe. And once I know what's real and what I should believe, then I can extrapolate what is valuable, what's good, what's worthwhile, what's meaningful, what's honorable, and that then should influence my behavior. Do you see how this works? You start with your worldview. That's key. What is real? Is God real or not? Is Jesus real or not? Are we some cause and effect outcome of a random meaningless process in the universe? Or did God create it with order and intention? What is real? What is real then establishes what is true. What is true, I can then learn from to decide what's honorable, what's right, what's worthwhile, what's valuable, and that then influences my behavior. If you look at someone and you say, hey, you shouldn't do that, believe it or not, the reason you make that judgment is because of your worldview. You go back to what is real, that established for you what we should believe, that helps you understand what is valuable and worthwhile, and that determines how we should act. So when you say to a child, you shouldn't do that, or you shouldn't say that, believe it or not, it's your worldview that leads you to that conclusion. Now, here's the big idea today, and I put it in the program. Let's make sure we get this before we move on. The primary reason that people do not act like Jesus is because people do not think like Jesus. Okay, let me read that again. The primary reason that we do not act like Jesus is because we do not think like Jesus. If I had a magic vitamin and I could give everyone one of these vitamins when you leave and it made you think like Jesus for today, then I guarantee you would act like Jesus. Thinking like Jesus, if he's in the center of your worldview, determines what is true for you thereby influencing what you deem valuable, worthwhile, and thereby influencing how you behave and what you do. If Jesus is real, if Jesus determines what is true, then we should be able to decide what's good and act on it. But surprisingly, get this, 
It is estimated that less than 7% of Americans embrace a biblical worldview. 7%. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute. I thought it was like 89% believe in God. Well, that's true too. But 89% of Americans believe in God, just not strong enough to put him in the center of their worldview. Just not enough to make him the determiner of the lens through which I view my reality. In other words, oh, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But I'm not sure I'm willing to buy all of his truth. Heck, I don't understand all of it. How can I buy all of it? And because I don't buy all of it, then I get to decide what is valuable, what is worthwhile. And I determine then, based on that, how I should act. You see, let me give you a couple of examples. Now, we all know at Grace Community Church that Pastor Mike is obviously no authority on technology or social media. You people have laughed at me for years over this. It's not because I don't understand it. It's because I'm just not interested in it. Let me go ahead and throw that out. But here's what I do know about that smartphone you carry around, about that Facebook account, that Twitter account or handle, your Instagram account. I know that you can set up preferences in all of those platforms. And you can tell those Facebook algorithms or those Twitter algorithms what you want to see and what you don't want to see, what you like and what you dislike. I know that given enough time, you can so set up a profile on any one of those social media platforms that you will receive nothing that is outside of the circle of your current worldview. That you will so narrow the scope of information that comes to you that everything that does come to you is something you already agree with. It's like the primary news channels we have in this nation. If you're conservative and you pull for our president, you probably watch Fox News because that news organization reaffirms everything you already believe in your worldview. If you are not a fan of our president, you do not like conservatism in politics, then you probably watch CNN because CNN reaffirms everything you already believe regarding politics and news. The problem with this is there is an ever-growing tendency in America to filter our experiences based upon our preferences. In other words, we don't want to be bothered with it if it contradicts something we already believe. We don't want to be bothered with it if it goes against something we already think we know. And what happens? Later, we find out that our perspectives have become isolated. It's just like our little group. We all believe and say the same thing. And then we're confronted with someone who doesn't. And what do we do? We draw a line in the sand. We choose sides. If I ask this auditorium, how many of you have ever had a meaningful conversation about faith with a Buddhist or with a Muslim, I'll bet I could count the number of hands on less than one of my hands. Why don't we do it? Because it's easier to filter out the people that contradict or confront our personal worldview. Let me give you another example. As a minister for 30 plus years now, it troubles me greatly that couples in the church, married men and women who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ are divorcing, they're destroying their family at almost the same rate as those outside the church who do not claim to follow Jesus Christ. That troubles me greatly. Why is the church Christian divorce rate almost equal 
to those who deny the inspiration of God's word, to those who deny the deity and virgin birth of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you why. It's because we believe in Jesus, just not enough to put him in the center of our worldview. The truth that he provides regarding marriage sounds too difficult for us. Therefore, it does not shape our values and work ethic when it comes to determining what makes a marriage strong and, and, and valuable. And that influences how we behave. You see how this works? Now, you didn't just wake up one day with a worldview. You didn't go to school or church one day and walk out with a worldview. This has taken years and decades, a lifetime, to form and fashion the lens through which you interpret your reality. Let me give you some ideas. Your worldview was formed, first of all, by your upbringing, your family, your siblings, your, your, your parents, your community. Your circle of influence helped shape your worldview. If I gave you different parents and moved you halfway around the world, it is very likely that you would view certain things very differently than you view them now. That is because your upbringing helped shape your worldview. Your education shaped your worldview. And this is huge. Why do so many 18-year-old high school graduates go away to college having grown up in the church and within just a few years, they don't know what they believe about Jesus. They don't know what they believe about God. They have no trust or affection for this book. They come out four or five years later, atheist or agnostic at best. What happened? They grew up not knowing they had a worldview, not knowing that they chose that worldview or would one day intentionally choose their worldview. And then they met somebody that impressed them. And then they met somebody that seemed smarter than them. And then they met somebody that seemed far more educated than were they. And they were, their worldview was confronted by another and they, they crumbled. Tell you something else that influences your worldview and that's popular culture. Popular culture. Parents, please hear me. Do you realize the music your children are listening to is shaping their worldview? Even the video games they play are shaping their worldview. Popular music, media, the video games, they're all shaping, forming your child's view of the world. Singers and songwriters, movie makers, storytellers, they are more influential in how you see the world than you might realize. That's because culture helps shape your worldview. And I can't leave out this one because I'm all about this one. Theology has helped form and shape your worldview. As a follower of Jesus Christ, my worldview is being shaped by what he calls true. And what he calls true, though difficult, sometimes it seems impossible, should help me determine what is valuable, what is worthwhile, what is good. And what is valuable, worthwhile, and good should then influence the way I behave. Let's get into this. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, just a few verses here. Let's start with verse 5. Those who live, Paul writes, according to the flesh, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Okay, That's like saying, those who live according to self's preferences put self at the beginning of their worldview. That's what Paul is saying. Those who live according to the flesh, according to self have their minds set. Remember, we do not act like Jesus because we do not think like Jesus on what the flesh desires. But, but in contrast, those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set 
on what the spirit desires. In other words, their worldview begins with God. So right away, we've got a contrast between two kinds of people with two separate competing worldviews. One begins with self. Self then determines what is true. What is true then establishes what is valuable, what is good, what is worthwhile, and that then becomes the standard by which I behave. But on the other hand, there are those who say God is at the beginning of my worldview. God shapes the lens through which I examine my reality. Therefore, God reveals what is true. What is true shapes what I consider important or valuable, and that influences even dictates how I behave. Look at verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh or self is death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. How can we embrace the idea that we will spend eternity with God in paradise, what we often call heaven, if we've only established self as the starting point of our worldview? How can that be? That's what Paul's saying. Again, verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh is eternal separation from God, death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Notice verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile toward God. Why? Because God and self cannot peaceably coexist at the center of your worldview. You have to choose one over the other as your starting point. Again, verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile toward God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. There is no possible way to be consistent in my worldview like 93% of other Americans, unless God is in the center of its beginning. When I'm in the beginning, when I'm at the center, when I'm the starting point of my worldview, when self and self-preferences become the lens through which I examine and interpret my reality, there's no possible way I can be consistent when it comes to truth or what is valuable or even how I behave. Verse 8. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now, remember, we established this early on. Remember, here it is on the screen. People do not act like Jesus because they do not think like Jesus. That's my way of summarizing what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. You see, when God becomes the authority in your life, then God determines what is true. And what is true determines what is valuable, and what is valuable determines how you and I behave. You see, it's at the core of salvation when you think about it. How many times have you heard me talk about these two ideas? Self-denial and cross-bearing. What is self-denial and cross-bearing if it's not removing self from the center of my worldview and placing God in the center of my worldview? It takes, it requires, it demands self-denial and cross-bearing to embrace a biblical worldview, to get out of my own way, to get out of the center of my worldview. God becomes the starting point. He establishes what is true. I act upon it based upon what that tells me is valuable. Now, this is big. If you miss everything else I say today, please don't miss this. Here it is. A biblical worldview chooses, and I should have underlined that word. I should have made it a different color. It's a big word. A biblical worldview 
chooses to begin with God, not with self. See, nothing has more influence over the course of your life than your personal worldview. You say, well, wait a minute, I thought it'd be your faith. I thought it'd be coming to church. I thought it'd be the Bible. No, it can't be any of those things if you didn't begin with God. If you didn't begin with Jesus Christ. When I begin with God and then God reveals his truth, as difficult as that may seem to me, it still establishes what is valuable and that determines how I respond and how I relate and how I behave. All because I chose to begin with God and not myself. Almost every decision you make, today, tomorrow, all week long, will find its roots in your worldview. Worldview is a big idea. It's a shame we don't talk about it more often because your worldview influences everything. It influences your life purpose. Let me ask you the big question. Why are you here? Why do you exist? Does my life really matter? Am I significant or am I insignificant? If you begin with God and you examine his truth, there are answers to those questions. I don't know how you answer those questions apart from God. Is there any wonder why there is so little dignity ascribed to human life in the United States of America? We shoot one another, stab one another, kill one another, defraud one another, cheat one another. We don't share the same worldview. My worldview that begins with God and establishes his truth demands I do no such thing. And in the state of New York, they pass a law giving a woman the right to choose to terminate a life in her stomach from the point of conception all the way until after birth, they can still kill a child. And New York City erupts in applause and people are dancing in the streets. Why? Because they don't share a biblical worldview. They don't give dignity to life because there is no dignity to life in their personal Worldview, So it influences your life purpose. It also influences your understanding of responsibilities. How might our community change? How might our culture change if we embraced the responsibilities spelled out in God's truth? Do you think there would be as many single mothers struggling to raise children well below the poverty line if men in this nation put God at the beginning embraced his truth on family and childbearing, accepted the value of fatherhood, and behaved like a responsible dad. Here's a third thing. Your worldview influences your interpretation of truth. Let me ask you a question regarding your personal circumstance. Some some of you, some good things are coming your way right now, and that's awesome. More power to you. Some of you, not so much. For some of you, this may be the darkest time you've known in your life in some time. Let me ask you a question. What is true about your circumstance? What do you know for sure about your circumstance? You see, your worldview shapes, it influences your interpretation of truth. Your worldview influences how you vote. What issues matter most? What issues are most important? Your worldview determines your vote. Your worldview influences your money. Do you realize that I could go to your home this afternoon and I could examine your bank account, your bank statement, and I could tell you something about your worldview? 
We could examine how much you give or how little you give or whether you give or not, and I could tell you something about your worldview. We could look at your checkbook register, if you still carry around a checkbook, and I could examine how you spend your money, and I could tell you something about how you view reality. It influences how you worship. I mean, why do we do what we do when we come to church? Is God personal? Can he be known? If God can't be known, then why do we talk to him publicly? Why do we sing songs to him? It influences how you work. Am I really accountable to God for my work? What if you consider your job a kind of a dead-end profession? It's a way to meet, make ends meet, pay your bills. But does my work really matter to God? If God is at the beginning of your worldview and this is his truth, absolutely it matters to God. Here's one last one. Your worldview influences your views on sex. I just threw that in because when you say the word sex in church, you get everybody's attention. But it does, it's true. Who defines faithfulness or unfaithfulness in a marriage relationship? Who defines intimacy in a meaningful married relationship? Now, I've shown you, hopefully, that we all have a worldview. I've helped you see where it originated, how you came about yours. Hopefully, you understand that you have one, where you got it, but I cannot let you go without a warning. And here it is. We are constantly bombarded by a secular worldview. Constantly. It'll happen this afternoon when you get in your car and turn on the radio. It'll happen this afternoon when you get home and turn on the television. It'll happen this afternoon when you log on to Facebook and update your whatever. It'll happen this afternoon when somebody sends you a message. When you look at Twitter we are constantly bombarded by a secular worldview. And sadly, most of us will go through life never recognizing that our personal worldview has been deeply, deeply impacted by the world. Through the media, the secularized view of American history, the law, politics, science, our fellow man, they all affect our thinking more than we realize. So I say, all the more reason to worship regularly. All the more reason to prioritize this one hour we have to establish, to cement, to firm up a worldview you claim to have. All the more reason to pray regularly. All the more reason to be a part of a small group, sit in somebody's living room and, and study God's word and talk about it and pray together. You see, it was Jesus Christ whom we supposedly worship. It was Jesus Christ, whom we supposedly pray to, who said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, I'll be honest with you in closing. Every morning when I wake up and my feet hit the bed, it's a, or hit the floor, it's a struggle as to who's going to be in the center of my worldview for that day. Is it going to be God or is it going to be Mike? Is it going to be Jesus or is it going to be circumstance? That's why I think Paul wrote these words. He said, every day I die to myself that I might live. That's like saying, every day I pull myself out of the center, away from the starting point of my worldview 
and I put God in his rightful place. If that's what Paul had to do, you better believe that's what Pastor Mike has to do. And I would encourage you, that's what you need to do as well. God bless you.